In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I invite you to be seated. God wants to marry you. Let me say that again because it's a little bit peculiar. God wants to get married to you. Now the reason I say that is because there is a theme that runs throughout both the Jewish scriptures, what we call the Old Testament, and into the New Testament, that paints this picture of the relationship between God and God's chosen people in the Old Testament, he creates this poetic image of God courting and pursuing and then eventually wanting to commit fully to his people. That God is this groom who wants the people of Israel to be this bride and get married. In fact, the book of, the, of Song of Solomon, which I don't know how familiar you are with it, it's one of those books in the Bible that doesn't get shared a lot because... It's a collection of romantic love poetry. And this book, when the different groups of people were trying to decide whether it should be included in the scriptures, it was one of those that was sort of held under a little bit under suspicion because it's kind of saucy. I mean, that's an invitation for you to dive in some day later. And they didn't quite know what to do with this, but eventually this idea, again, the image that the prophets gave of God being someone who wants to marry his people, they took that and decided that this was an important metaphor for the book of, this, of Song of Solomon, that that's really what the book was talking about. Yes, it was about a man who was pursuing this woman and wanting to be together with her, but it had this larger, deeper meaning. Right, do you follow? And then later in the New Testament, when we read the Apostle Paul writing to the followers of Jesus, he takes the same image and he transfers it to the relationship between Jesus and the church. He says that Jesus is the groom and the, the church is the bride. And the story, if the book of Revelation is a story, is one of the books that sort of completes the arc of scripture, there's an image in that book of a wedding. And it's a wedding between Christ and the church that is going to be consummated. Right? I'm going to let you fill in all the details there. But it points to a mystical union between God and his people. Now, when I have the opportunity to sit down with couples and to do that pre-wedding you know, counseling or conversations or education, one of the things I say to them, and most of them are younger, in their 20s, so most people come into this relationship with the intention of being married until they die, that the promises that they make in that wedding is something that they intend to do. And so I say to them, so if you're successful at this, then the chances are pretty good that you will be married between 50 and 60, maybe even longer, 65 years. And I say to these young couples, you have no earthly idea what you're getting into. What it means to be in a relationship with someone who is completely other than you for that long. And that's part of what that, those conversations are about. How do you prepare yourself to be in a relationship for that long? But a part of those conversations, I try to say to them, I point to them to this poetic imagery in the scriptures, that if they are faithful to it, 
as they engage each other who are very different from one another, that there will in some ways always be this chasm of mystery between these two people. As much as they get to know each other over the years, there still will be that slight chasm of mystery. But if they are faithful to it, as they grow close to one another, as they begin to share their love and they begin to sacrifice each other and to serve each other and to love each other, that their wedding, their marriage, can actually become a tutor for their relationship with God, each one to the other. That what you learn from each other as you sort of struggle and in marriage and work out all those difficult things, the ups and the downs, the joys, the difficulties, and in the end, one of the things you can gain is a deeper understanding of the mystery of that other person that points you to this larger mystery between you and God. God builds into our community these little gifts that if we're faithful to them, we can learn about each other and we can grow closer to God. When Jesus is confronted by the religious authorities, they do not have good intentions in this question. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? And Jesus, understanding what it was they were trying to do, to trap him, to get him to say something that would incite people against him if he spoke against the law of Moses. And Jesus says, yes, it's allowed. It's allowed by the Torah, by the teachings that Moses gave us but it was never God's intention. God's intention was that you would enter into that relationship in all of its beauty and wonder and mystery and in all of its difficulty. And that together with God's help, as you move through that challenge and that gift, then in the end what you would also gain is an understanding of your connection with God. And so there's a sadness that Jesus points to when marriages aren't able to get there. Now, I'm a child of divorce. My parents divorced when I was 10 years old. It was very painful. I was old enough to be able to observe how difficult that was for my mother, how painful it was for her. And again, as many of you know, I grew up Baptist, and so I also watched her struggle and wrestle with this teaching. For Jesus to, say, for Jesus to hold up marriage and the long-term commitment to it is the ideal. And so to put that in front of my mother and for her to sort of see that in her worst moments as a kind of indictment. But I don't believe that that's what Jesus is trying to do here. He's not trying to deny grace or mercy. In fact, anytime Jesus is doing any kind of teaching in adultery, he seems to take it and magnify it because he he recognizes that what people are doing is they're using this as a weapon, as a cudgel, to try to hurt people and separate people and to shame people. And Jesus doesn't want to deny that there's pain in this. But what he's trying to point out is that there's also grace that comes with these kinds of failures. And anybody who's been married knows that marriage is not an easy thing. It can be a beautiful and wondrous thing. 
but it is a difficult thing with all kinds of challenges in it. After he has this exchange with the religious leaders, his students, his disciples, when they get into a private place, this is so difficult they want to ask him about it again. And I love how the writer of the Gospel of Mark then connects it to Jesus encountering children. Children who are, whose lives are characterized by attempting things and risking things and failing at things and yet being willing to receive the grace that adults are so often ready to give them when that happens. And Jesus says, let these children come to me. Don't stop them. The kingdom of God is theirs. And I believe that the good news that Jesus is sharing with, with us in all of this is that Jesus is asking us to hold up the ideal with the chance that as we live into it, we're going to gain this closeness, this connection with God, but reminding us that when we fail, that God's grace, his mercy, his compassion is always waiting there to receive us. Those kinds of values, those kinds of, of, of living, that kind of living is the very thing that we bring in to a beautiful and healthy marriage. We try our best, but then when we fall short, we depend fully on God's grace to love us. And in doing so, even then, we will begin to know and better understand the mystery of being connected to God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.